Welcome back to the No Code Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7, featured an amazing guest, a guy I've known since 2008 when we both worked for Liberty Property Trust, Mr. Tony Ewing. Tony has been in the commercial real estate industry since 2004 and has seen a lot of change in that time. From the 08-09 financial crisis to the rise of the Navy Yard in Philadelphia to COVID fallout and now setting a path forward in his latest role with Shift Capital. At Shift Capital, Tony and his team focus on how their business can create inclusiveness and foster community growth, especially in areas of the city that have been underserved. We dove deep into diversity in the real estate business and how we, as leaders in the industry, can facilitate DNI initiatives. Tony is a truly great guy, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Season two, episode seven of the No Code Podcast. Very excited today for my guest. Uh, I'm always excited when I get to talk to another Tony because, you know, it's really a premier name out in the world. So uh, welcoming my guest uh, from Shift Capital, Mr. Tony Ewing. How are you today? Doing well, Tony. How are you, sir? Uh, Doing just fine. Beautiful Friday. Got some nice weather last few days. You know, getting to enjoy that, that always makes it better. Indeed, indeed, indeed. At least it you? looks like a nice day from, from the inside here. <laughs> from the inside of the Ewing home office there? Indeed. Yeah. Have you gotten out and about last couple of days? Uh, only to uh, to walk the dog. Uh, that nice. has been really my only escape. But uh, but that's, you know, I try to make the, the walks just a little bit longer these days. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've got three Giuliano pups over here, so they uh, they get to enjoy the backyard, and and I try to give them at least one walk a day to get them get them out of the the scenery of just the uh, just the property here. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, same here. I'm I'm fortunate that I have uh, I'm not too far from Fairmount Park and uh, Wissahickon Trails, so we tend to to try to go out and trail it up uh, from time to time. So that's that is yeah. a nice escape. That's a great area. Definitely. I, I miss it. I haven't been down in a while. You know, it's uh, I made a couple trips into the city um, back in the summer and the fall. And then pretty much since then, it's been me hanging mostly uh, in southern New Jersey and, you know, working from home and getting into our JLL Cherry Hill office uh, here and there. So we'll tell uh, tell the, J- uh, the JLL Cherry Hill team that Tony says hello, because uh as you, as you know, they used to be my stomping grounds with Liberty back in the day. Yep, yep, and that's uh, that's when you and I go back to the Liberty Property Trust days. Um, I was there from 2008 to 2010. I think your stint was a bit longer there. Um, what was it? 04 to 04 2019. To 19, almost 15 years to the day. That's a solid run, my friend. It was a solid run indeed, a solid run indeed. Well, it was, you know, it was, it was really split into two parts because I did the mm-hmm. first half in South Jersey and the second half in Philly. So had the opportunity to, to uh, have almost, you know, two, two quite distinct experiences during that tenure. Definitely. Yeah. And the time I was there was, was really interesting. I, I came on in May of 2008 and it was just as, the uh, proverbial shit was hitting the fan with uh, the economic crisis. And, and, you know, looking back on it, I I didn't know anything about real estate when I came into that job. I was more coming in from the finance side of the business. It was a financial analyst position. Um, Hey pup, how you doing? Yeah. (laughs) We're going to have that from time to time. Sorry about that. I'm I'm more than used to it. I'm more than used to it. But uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, I came in, in in May and I can remember sitting down with George Allberger, the former CFO, and asking him just like, man, what do you think this real estate crisis is going to be all about? And, you know, you know, I'm sure you remember the kind of guy that, that George was when he was uh, running the running the numbers there. But he he took out a piece of paper and he just he just fleshed it all out for me. He's like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're positioned, you know, and he really, uh, you know, he made me feel a lot better about the decision to join at that time. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a wild time. I mean, later that year, fall of 08 was when it really kind of went crazy. And, uh, but I remember how well George and Bill Hankowski and Mike Hagan and all those guys, um, 
you know, that how they how they position the company to weather that storm and uh, and make it out the other side really in good shape. You know, I, I agree. In fact, it was it was astonishing. Eh, astonishing might be overselling it, but it was surprising that we did not have more layoffs than we did at that time. Definitely. Um, the I think the fact that a the size of the organization, the 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 capital structure, many thanks to George Alberger for putting the company in in, in, in a good capital situation. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know the fact that I think they were they were wise enough to see that really it, it was about hunkering down and weathering the storm, trying to do the best with the assets that you could at the time in terms of leasing. Uh, selective dispositions, certainly not a whole lot of uh, acquisition and development, um, yep. but you know, being able to, to 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 care for the store, if you will, during that period of time, um, put it in a in a very good position moving forward, and then you know, shortly after that, having the forethought uh, to see that uh, suburban office may not be going the direction that we had wanted it to, and then started selectively disposing of those assets and, you know, kind of starting its evolution into more of an industrial shop. Yeah, definitely. It, it was done with a lot of, uh, you know, almost to your, you said astonishing. I don't know that that's uh, a word that is inappropriate. I mean, it, it was, it was really with a lot of foresight that they could see the path forward and and a lot of past decisions that were really strong in the fact that they didn't over leverage the balance sheet. You know, there was not a lot of risky unsecured debt out there. They, they were super smart and responsible about how to position the company. And then I think they did an equity raise, uh, a continuous offering in, in the stock market. And I think that was 09. And they timed it like, I mean, this might've been a little bit luck, but they timed it perfectly. Cause I remember when they did it, it was at like 35 bucks a share. And then a couple months later, we were trading down at like 18. And just because the whole world had just taken such a big impact and, you know, quickly climbed back up for Liberty. But, uh, you know, what I appreciated back in those days is the executive team took the time to really explain it to everybody in detail mm -hmm. and, and to people that didn't quite honestly have a, a huge connection to all those, you know, kind of macro issues that we're talking about. But they got together really as like a family and said, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're going to solve this. We're going to come out the other side. We're going to have to have some some pain in the short term, but we're going to make sure everybody's OK. And I always appreciated that. I mean, they didn't have to do it that way. They didn't have to do it that way. And they did. And the way they just communicated everything, I was, you know, I will always have a fond, fond memory of Liberty Property Trust. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story. I when I when I joined in 04, uh, it was it was one year after the passing of the patriarch and founder, Willard, aka Bill Rouse. I had never never had a chance to meet him, but saw plenty of, of videos of him and uh, heard heard all the stories. But when I joined, there was, you know, every other, you know, Every leader there had a had a rousism of some sort that they would that they would throw out there, you know, some strange uh, expression that uh, you know that 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 Bill Rouse used to espouse uh, fairly frequently, and there was there was so much reverence to this to this man that I had never met, and it was surprising a little bit. I was like, wow, who was this guy? You know, and so everybody kept talking about him, and and. Uh, you know, it was it was it was a little bit extreme in some respect. And then over the years, I started to really understand about the the, the culture that was uh, that was uh, started as a you know small small company feel, small company vibe. Use the word family. It was very much a family type atmosphere. Um, getting together for the Bill Rouse Day of Caring, for example, yeah. we go out and do our you know, community service projects and, you know, that, that culture really permeated the organization. And, uh, I think it, it, it speaks to some of the success that they had, some of the loyalty that so many of its employees had. I mean, there were a lot of long time employees of that organization. Oh yeah. Yeah. 30 year employees. Yeah. Um, you know, and I worked with some of them in the finance and accounting group and you mentioned that day of caring, 
I started in May. The day of caring was like two weeks after I joined. And for those listeners out there, that's a day where everybody in the entire company, Liberty Property Trust, you know, spread out, um, you know, we presence on the West Coast, the Southwest, the Midwest, and, and certainly the East Coast. But every office would go out and they would do some sort of charitable event. Everybody, totally mandatory. Everybody's out there and not just, you know, go through the motions for an hour or two, like a full on day of some pretty good manual labor most of the time. And uh, and and I I joined and I, I felt really bad because the day of caring, it, it, it came on the same day that I had tickets to Pearl Jam at the uh, at the. Um, uh, Camden, uh, waterfront, you know, whatever it was called at the time. And, Probably uh, the but I still, yeah, I think it was, I think it was. And I had tickets that night and I had to, I had to bail a little early. And when I was started saying that people were looking at me like, yeah, I don't I don't know if you're supposed to do that, man. <laughs> I'm like, look, I, I bought these tickets well before I joined liberties. I, I didn't know it was going to fall on that same day, but, uh, but I did my piece and, and, uh, you know, I just had to bail around, I don't know, four or five or something to get down to the show. And uh, yeah, but it, it was uh, what a great family, you know, family company really is what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, 15 years worth. So, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's family for me for sure. Yeah. So how did you get into real estate in the first place? I, I you know, when I was doing a little, uh, we've known each other a long time, but you know, for this podcast, I do a little, a little research here and there. And, uh, I noticed that, you know, you started, uh, you know, an undergrad, you were not, uh, kind of specializing in, in real estate or anything like that. You were, you were into something else. How did you kind of make that, uh, that transition? Sorry about that. There you go. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. I think I muted you for a second. Sorry yeah. That's, yeah. My, uh, dog's really He's making his presence known to the Amazon delivery people walking up and down the street here. Hey, you got to let those people know that, uh, you know, beware of dog. So, um, (laughs) yeah. So, so coming out of, uh, coming out of undergrad as a mechanical engineer, uh, the only thing I knew about my career trajectory was that I did not want to do mechanical engineering and, uh, three, three internships at the Eastman Kodak company back in the day taught me that. Um, so I went into, uh, technology sales, uh, essentially, and, uh, found myself in, in New York city, uh, doing technology services and business development for, uh, tech service companies. And, uh, all was going very well during the expansion of the, uh, late nineties, uh, tech bubble. And, uh, lo and behold, oh, oh, one. Late 01, early 02 rolls around and that bubble bursts rapidly. And, um, you know, kind of sitting there saying, all right, well, this, this isn't going to work anymore. Uh, what am I, what am I going to do in life? And, uh, decided that I was going to throw all my chips, uh, back into going back to school and, uh, went back to business school. And that's how I found myself here in Philadelphia. I was fortunate enough to get admitted into, to Wharton at UPenn, and um, you know, really with uh, with a goal of of continuing maybe down the consulting or the marketing road, and I stumbled upon the real estate club, one of a thousand B school clubs that they have there, and um, it was a very active organization, relatively small, um, but but super active, and they have as a part of the grad school program there a. Uh, a a specialized uh, real estate research organization, uh, the Zell Lurie Real Estate Center, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know funded in perpetuity uh, by Sam Zell and his former partner Robert Lurie, and um, you know they did they they engaged in activities that uh, you know, basically took the took the students out of the classroom and gave them very real time experiences as to what it was like to, to be in the real estate industry, everything from development, finance, uh, investment banking, um, you know, o- operations, asset management, brokerage, etc. And there, you know, through, through that experience, it became clear to me, I think that the, the asset class, if you will, that I wanted to be in was not necessarily something 
of a financial nature that I that I really uh, the hard assets really appeal to me. Right. And uh, maybe that's the engineering background. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually remember one of my favorite classes in undergrad was a, was an elective in civil engineering that we had to build okay. bridges and columns and whatnot. Yeah. And so that was right. you know the fact <clears throat> excuse me the fact that we could use so many different skill sets. You know whether it's uh, you know the, the analytical uh, skills, management skills, sales skills. Um, you know, to some degree, the engineering knowledge comes into into play, and just understanding building systems overall, uh, and and do that, and and you know work with a team um, of whether it's owners, operators, brokers, tenants, lawyers, city officials. Um, you know, you work with so many different types of people that that, again, all of that really appealed to me. And so the decision was made that that's, that's the direction I wanted to go. Um, I was actually, interesting story, was offered an internship by Liberty Property Trust and promptly turned them down um, <laughs> and uh, decided to go, uh, go underwrite loans for an affordable housing uh, CDFI here in town, the reinvestment fund. Okay. And uh, that's kind of that opened my eyes really to more of the, the urban infill uh, real estate um, uh, scene here in Philadelphia. Uh, but then they, they came back around knocking upon graduation. And, you know, it seemed like it was growing in the right direction. I you know, did a couple of days on the job there and said, yeah, this is, this is the place for me. All that, you know, camaraderie and familial stuff that we just yeah. talked about kind of kind of proved itself. So. I was, I was lucky, you know, I was one of those folks who, you know, kind of a little, little later in life, I was, I was a bit older than my average uh, business school classmate, being seven years out of school, married with a couple of kids, mm-hmm. um, decided, uh, you know, was, was, was able to switch careers and then in earnest uh, move into real estate. And that was, gosh, 18, 19 years ago. Yeah. So you, uh, you experienced the dot-com bubble, you experienced you know, the post 9-11 fallout. And then, you know, we had some good years leading up to what I described earlier with the 08-09 crisis. And now we're living through another crazy time uh, with COVID, obviously. And this comes at a time, you know, a couple years after your exit from Liberty. So why don't you take us back to, you know, I I don't want to skip over 15 years of Liberty, but you you know, you're working on the leasing side, the development side of the business. You can explain that a little bit. But then, you know, the transition once Liberty made it clear that, you know, we're getting out of office product, we're getting out of, you know, we're going strictly into to industrial for the most part and then eventually selling as they did a, a couple of years ago. So what what has that transition been like for you going from, you know, I guess Liberty kind of pivoted back in. 14, 15 around then, maybe a little earlier than that. Yeah. And then leading up to today. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, I mentioned we were, you know, I was, I was in South Jersey office till about 2011. And even at that time, we had started to unload a little bit more of the, you know, kind of class, class B or A minus suburban office product there. Um, and moving more toward new construction, trophy class, uh, a little bit more urban and fill. That became clear that uh, Liberty was going to do more, you know, or urban core um, office and industrial. So that's right. gave me the opportunity to come over to Philly and work on our uh, downtown portfolio. Um, you know, was was able to to, to uh, be involved in, in small respects with the the two Comcast uh, buildings, Comcast One and the uh, Comcast Center, I should say, and then following up the Comcast Technology Center. But most of that time was, was spent down at the Philadelphia Navy Yard, you know, redeveloping a, a, a master planned 100 plus acres that we had under control into a wide variety of, of office and uh, you know, high, high finish flex and uh, ultimately life sciences uh, buildings down there. Yeah. So, again, great, great experience to. To be on the leading edge of uh, sustainable design, uh, you know, lead platinum buildings, early life sciences cluster growth here in Philadelphia, uh, as well as some uh, you know award-winning towers downtown. So all you know, great stuff. And uh, you know, interestingly, most people in the Philadelphia area who know Liberty know us as the office 
you know, office developers, yeah. right? They're Comcast and the Navy Yard. But meanwhile, in the 22 other markets within which we operated, we were uh, getting out of the office market, strictly focusing on industrial, uh, you know, on our way to becoming a pure play industrial read. So, right. Right. so as you said, the, you know, in comes the announcement in late 2018 at one of the analyst calls that we are getting out of the office business. And so, you know, the writing was on the wall there and they, you know, again, were very, very honest with, with those of us with whom, you know, we spent most of our time doing that kind of work right. um, and uh, gave us, you know, we're, 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 we're very, um, I'll say generous with their time and attention in making that transition. So all that said, you know, I mentioned before I spent the, uh, my, my summer doing uh, affordable housing underwriting and, and had an, an interest in, in urban infill and just on my own, always had an interest in, you know, seeing investment and development in historically underserved neighborhoods, underinvested, yeah. underinvested neighborhoods and such. And so here I was at this, you know, crucial point in my career, thinking about what did I want to do, you know, moving forward and with whom did I want to spend my time. And, uh, you know, it was, I was very fortunate that um, there, there exists here in Philadelphia, this organization, Shift Capital, whose very thesis is that, you know, it is to right. leverage capitalism in a way that is forward thinking, that can go into Again, these neighborhoods where it's tough to invest, where the traditional uh, deals and capital structures don't work, but align, identify and align patient capital, subsidy capital, you know, pick, pick an acronym, whether it's live yeah. tech, rack P, new markets, historics, you know, uh, pick a program, put, put that very colorful stack together. And then go try to do something catalytic in a neighborhood. When I say catalytic, I mean job creation, safe and affordable yeah. housing, you know, new services and amenities um, that that can and will uh, perhaps take a little longer, but can and will be profitable for those uh, in, in investors. But at the same time, has a very explicit double bottom line vision. That, right. uh, you know, for, for long-term sustainable change so that, you know, uh, uh, existing residents of those neighborhoods can actually participate in the wealth creation that ultimately results in that. So that was, uh, that was, that was my thinking. It matched, you know, very well with what, what Shift was doing. You know, they were, you know, looking at the time for somebody that had a little bit more, you know, institutional background to bring some of that process and procedure and the like as they were at an inflection point in their growth. And so it was a, it was a good match. It was a good match. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, so I talked about this subject a little bit with Phil Butler, one of your uh, NAOP partners there. Um, and he's out there busy running MRP and they're, they're doing amazing things right now. But, but when you can have that alignment between equity and the capital markets and the really the goals of neighborhoods within Philadelphia to make sure it's not mutually exclusive that, you know, real estate owners and investors are building their wealth while the neighborhoods get left behind. That's, that's always a huge challenge. And you, and you hear about gentrification and you hear about all these, you know, growing areas of the city that maybe displace some residents or the, the things just didn't line up. You know, the, the, the goal of the, of the money guys, so to speak, didn't, Align with the people of the neighborhood, but when it does come together, like what you're talking about with Shift, it is an awesome thing to see, and it can be extremely powerful when you have all stakeholders kind of moving towards the same goal and direction. And uh, I think that's a you know it's a phenomenal uh, cause, but a phenomenal business model too. Um, great cause, uh, you know the the yes, strong business model. Uh, Often politically charged, as you know, you know for you said, sure. You said yep. the, you said the G word, gentrification. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you know is 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 again in and of itself a, a charged expression. Um, and uh, you know there is, the, unfortunately, uh, there are a lot of extremes that exist out there. Either you know it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, 
And yeah. it, it really does, um, you know, I think it really matters on the delivery mechanism. Uh, what mm-hmm. we, what we try to, we try to use the word impact, um, right. as opposed to gentrification, you know, right. we try to right. use words like non-displacement, um, or reduced displacement and mm-hmm. participation, because these are yeah. the, 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 the measurable outcomes that we're trying to achieve. Um, can that happen without any gentrification at all? Probably not. You know, if you don't yeah. have a mixed environment, if you will, you know, if you don't have new people with new dollars that can come in and, and insert new dollars into a neighborhood so that they stay there and circulate there, right? right? Then, then I don't know how a neighborhood can become self-sustaining and, 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 and thriving over the long term. Now, I'm, yeah. this is one person speaking, right? I've got, I'm sure I've got colleagues that, that think a little bit differently. I know I've got, yeah. you know, neighborhood partners that think a little bit differently. And all of those voices are valid. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, from, from my vantage point, that's kind of how, you know, I view it as, you know, a little bit. Yes, you're, you're walking a tight line uh, mm-hmm. between, um, you know, between negative gentrification and positive investment. Um, right. And it's going to be like that for a while. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're trying to, to some degree, not keep the blinders on. Because you have to, you know, you have to listen and respect all opinions and voices in, in, in the yeah. game, in the world that we play in. But to try to stay focused on the outcomes. Who, at the end of the day, is benefiting from this, and is it the intended populations, uh, neighborhoods, people, businesses, etc., that you started out with? I think that you know, for us, right. those are the important metrics. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great point in terms of the balance. Uh, any, any deal, any negotiation, any new project, you know, there, you want the best outcome for all stakeholders involved, but everybody's going to have to give a little something, you know, nobody ever gets exactly what they want. Nothing is perfect. So when you talk about what shift is doing in that, in that realm, I'm sure, you know, you, the important thing is that you're listening to all the voices and you're weighing all sides of it. And then you know, hopefully you're executing a good investment, a good deal, a disposition, acquisition, whatever it may be, um, you know, to, to get, get the best for the most amount of people. And uh, I think a lot of people think about real estate and, and probably especially in Philadelphia as, you know, you've got these different community, community groups and uh, they get in the way a lot of, of deals. It's not that. It's, it's how do you balance their input, how they're going to be affected, you know, what's the positive and the negative for those groups and those people and those citizens? And, you know, it, it can be challenging. It can, it can be really challenging. I mean, I've I've been not a direct party of deals, but just as, you know, the COO, JLL Philadelphia, when we have a major development going on and say we're 90% of the way to a deal, and then there's a, a hurdle to get over with a community group, in our narrow-minded approach, sometimes that can be frustrating. But then, when you take a step back and realize, okay, how can we meet them in the middle somewhere to make sure that you know any impact on them is minimal, or if it can be positive, how do we make it positive? Oh yeah, that's that, that is that is correct. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, uh, for for decades, community groups were not even consulted. So, you know, if one, one needs to walk in the shoes of the individual on the other side for a little while to understand where they're coming from. And, um, you know, then, then perhaps you can understand why they're fired up about whatever it is that somebody is doing and why there, there are demands, um, that are that, you know, from, from one person's vantage point looks like they're just obstacles. Um, but, but truly, are, are, you know, trying to, again, I'll, I'll say trying, trying to participate in whatever value proposition is being, being created because it is, it is historically, you know, accurate, you know, to say that there are a number of projects, developments where value is just extracted, you know, from, yeah. from, from those uh, local, 
and uh, historic uh, population. So, you know, to to to, to be blind to that is um, is 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 really you know an exercise in folly. So so that said, you're right. It, there there still needs to be a deal at the end of the day. There still needs to be negotiation. You know, there's now this, you know, it's manifesting itself now in many of these community benefits agreements uh, that it looks like will be legislation at some point in time mm-hmm. in the city of Philadelphia. Right. And, um, um, you know, we try to go in proactively and do a CBA with groups and say, yep, this is what we're going to commit to. And this is how we're going to bring value to, um, you know, and, and jobs and, you know, priorities for you know, local and, and near local residents and, you know, blight reduction and safety increases and local hiring, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, yeah. uh, those are, again, to, to look at those just as obstacles is, is, uh, is a little bit archaic right now, quite frankly, because you're not going to get right. around it. So might as well embrace right. it, understand it. You know, and 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 do do one's best to to create you know the most value for everybody involved. They want to be involved. Yeah, yeah, and and building the trust. You mentioned the proactive communication. When you do that, I think you can build that trust on the front end, so that you know some of these groups can understand. Hey, you know, we're not out to screw anybody over here. We just see a great redevelopment play or a great real estate deal here. That's that's going to help. So when you get out in front of it. And nobody's blindsided. I, th- I think that can be a key thing, and that's not just in in community relations. That's with any, I think, any business transaction or any real estate deal. You know, when you when you have that uh, are known for that integrity and that honesty, it, it goes a long way in getting a good good deal done for both sides. Yes, yeah, that that's true. Um, the other reality is not everybody is going to be satisfied every time. In fact. You know, unlike unlikely that everybody's going to be satisfied all the time. Uh, you know, haters are going to hate regardless of <laughs> you know what, what side what side you're on, and you know, yeah. people uh, you know, oppressed and otherwise need something to talk about, so they're going to stoke the fire a little bit. And yeah, you know, it's uh, it's in- interesting times. You know, we we went For into sure. this, this line of. of, of of conversation, I think, you know, talking about some of the uh, you know, traumatic periods, whether it's dot com, yeah. the Great Recession, we started talking a little about about COVID. Um, the pandemic has been a uh, a kick in the teeth, uh, sure. for sure. Yeah. You know, um, the the uh, the neighborhoods and the, the populations that we serve, like many other. Uh, uh, historic uh, negative events you know have disproportionately negatively affected uh, a lot of the folks that we deal with whether it's commercial tenants or residential tenants or partners or construction or or otherwise and so you know that that has been that has been difficult we've still seen the um, you know the ramifications of that now you know uh, you know certain Tenants losing 100% of their revenue streams, for example, and so you know, really trying hard to you know, in addition to just the, the development that we do, there are there's a lot of programmatic activity that Shift is engaged in, you know, that is actively um, attempting to uh, assist on the ground, whether it's you know, healthcare disparities, whether it's closing a digital divide, you know. Uh, we've got this program called Health Plus, which is basically uh, complementary telehealth services and uh, prescription uh, 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 reduction, you know, price price reduction plans. Uh, we've got other programs that uh, financially uh, motivate our tenants to volunteer time with right. local nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, Shift has been instrumental in starting what we believe is the, the country's first commercial corridor trust, you know, similar to a land corridor trust, the Kensington corridor trust is, uh, yeah. you know, a nonprofit newly formed that, um, you know, seeks to, to empower a, a local nonprofit that is 
headed by and 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 chaired by and led by a local the local citizenry and local nonprofit organizations to command exactly what's happening on that commercial corridor. Um, right. You know, different different elements of that. It's kind of the 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 not just the dollars and cents and bricks and mortar, but also fostering a lot more, I'll say generically, community and and other disparities that exist out there that are getting exacerbated by not just the pandemic, but you know, the economic impacts, you know, coming from that as well. Yeah. So um, you know, if nothing else, I would say this is not news, but you know, there is a bright light now shining on disparities nationally. And, you know, we're trying to do our part in our neighborhoods to, to kind of help close that gap. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. And, you know, the impact has been felt uh, as it usually is in a situation like this in lower income areas, people of color that are experiencing on, on a health front, on a financial front, on a job front. Pretty much all the statistics are worse for those categories than, you know, white people in suburban areas of the country. It, it tends to be the case. And it has once again shown itself. So I think for you guys at Shift Capital in working with your partners, I mean, it's an all hands on deck, uh, you know, address to the problem. That's the only way you can do it. And, and it's to uh, it's to educate, to motivate, to help others get involved and then to provide support wherever and whenever you can. And, uh, you know, the, the larger macro problems of these inequities, you know, I, I hope I hope we can solve them one day. But until then, at least we can help to stop the bleeding and help keep people going to get to the other side of this and then, you know, kind of recalibrate and get back on the right track. Yeah. And I, I think you know, use a good expression there. Just do our part, um, yeah. because there are you know, there are so many other active individuals and organizations that have been that have been doing this long before a shift existed and will be, you know, and will can continue to do uh, their good works uh, probably after we're gone. Um, yeah. So the, the the key there is is collaboration, communication, you know, going in and, and, and understanding from the local civic leadership what are the needs. You know, actually listening to the needs, not going in dictating a solution, but trying to you know react um, and and try to implement solutions that they have experience you know with the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and right. uh, really just doing our part in a collaborative fashion. You know, if we try to just you know uh, come in solving solving problems that we're not you know aware of uh, fully, right. uh, make, makes makes uh, makes little sense and, and usually causes more harm than good. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So in addition to what you're doing with Shift, which is, you know, I think a lot of great things and 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 I hope you guys obviously can weather the storm and I'm sure you will. Um, you know, there's a lot of, as, as grim as things have been in the last year, and ironically, I think this is the one year anniversary today, we're talking on Friday, March 12th, of when we shut our offices down in Philadelphia. So it's uh, it's kind of a you know an unpleasant anniversary, but at the same time, you think about where we are today. And I even went back and read some of my old emails, and you know that that extreme fear and uncertainty a year ago today. Um, even though we had no idea what we were about to deal with, but and that was that was the anxiety was the unknown. We just didn't we didn't know what this was going to be. We didn't know if we were retreating for four weeks or or what, uh, but. A year later, you know, you've got vaccine rollout, uh, you've got better treatments, you have case numbers that are going down. I mean, it, it's a sobering anniversary, but at the same time, I'm filled with a lot of hope that, you know, we are not too far away, knock on wood, cross your fingers, that we're coming out the other side of this thing. And uh, I, I feel a lot of hope on the horizon. I really do. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um... But at this point in time, I, you know, I'd love to see some data uh, behind yeah. the hope, right? Um, but it's I, a restrained hope. Yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah. it's a cautious optimism, but it's yeah. there. You know? Yeah, 
you know, so so many things in, in, in our society are a self-fulfilling prophecy, I believe, that if oh, folks yeah. actually yeah. do get behind it, when I say folks, I mean the average citizen, I mean business leaders, I mean uh, political leaders, I mean, you know, the, the whole gamut, you get on the same page in one direction and move forward, then we'll get yep. there. Um, right. There's... There's a, as you know, you know, a lot of different voices out there that have a lot of different opinions about things like vaccines, like things like, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, although, yep. you know, the winds tend to be going in the right direction and, uh, there is, there is awareness. Uh, some of that awareness, I think, needs to be followed up with, you know, more, more concrete, real action again. Hope. I think hope is the is the operative word, uh, and it's looking good. We, mm-hmm. we need to keep it going and, and hope that this is a this is again, hope that it's not a uh, you know sort of a flash in the plant pan, but, yeah. but rather a, a sustainable element in in our society. Whether it's just you know getting over the the the, the one pandemic that is COVID nineteen, and mm-hmm. you know the other. Epidemics, I should say, in, in, in the U.S. with things like, you know, the lack of equitable opportunities and, yeah. and such. So, again, but, but yes, yeah, it's, hope, it's hope very, very real. Very and unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. It, it's it's very real. And unfortunately, it's completely politicized and polarized when you break it down. And, and it, it should be simple. It should be, hey. The success of more people across the board is better for us as a country, and there's no two ways about that. There's a lot of questions on how do you get there? What's the right way to get there? Um, And I think that is the polarizing piece of it. But at the same time, there is there is definitely still too much too much hate and fear. And, you know, I guess maybe opinion from some that if this certain group does better, I'm going to do worse. And it does not have to be that way. And, and there are there are better ways for us to think about the problem and to go about solving it. And from a corporate standpoint, I'm encouraged that it feels like for the first time in a long time, the talk about diversity and inclusion is not just talk. And it's, it feels more actionable today than it was five years ago, than it was two years ago, for that matter. You know, there were there were talks of like, OK, we want to, you know, we want to fill our our pipeline of candidates with diverse people. And then we want to hire X percent of people in diverse uh, of diverse backgrounds, but then there wouldn't be very much delivery on that, or there would be sort of excuses on, well, we couldn't do it because of this, that, and the other thing. Um, But now I'm sensing, and this is within JLL, but also across the board and in some of the other, you know, people I talk to that work at other companies that it seems to be much more, serious it seems to be much more like we got to move on this this is how we're going to move this is how we're going to hold ourselves accountable and and governments governments government governments over here in my mind the corporate sector over here has a a better chance at at helping move the ball forward in a lot of these areas in in my opinion well you know as you said before there's 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 action afoot so we'll We'll see where it goes, but I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're you know we're even we're using language these days that you know <clears throat> we uh, we weren't using a year ago. Yeah, you know it is yeah, not a faux true. pas to talk about black and brown people anymore. You know exactly. It's not a you know it's 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 at least you're getting a lot more comfortable in identifying and using very explicit language to talk about you know real issues. And, uh, you know, that's that in and of itself, I think, is a, is a notch in the wind column. And now we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. I, I presume we will continue to see that grow. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's there's an awful lot of work to do. It is. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't even taken the first we've taken like the first half a step. I don't even think we've taken the first full step yet. So hopefully we uh, you know, we do that. Hopefully we, we hold ourselves to account. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Agreed. Well, appreciate uh, appreciate JLL doing their part. Yeah, we're we're definitely. I'm I'm really happy to be part of our uh, our East Coast Diversity and Inclusion Council. Um, I you know, on our regional leadership calls, I 
I raised my hand for that. And I, I thought that, you know, I could maybe offer some solutions and, and listen a lot and try to learn some more myself because, you know, I'm a, I'm a white suburban kid grew up that way. You know, I, I, I definitely don't feel that I've ever had any, you know, racism in my, in my, you know, persona or my past or anything like that. But at the same time, there's just so much that I don't know that I want to learn and I want to understand and not sit there and be that kind of arrogant, you know, Oh, I, you know, I, I know how to fix this. And I don't, I want to listen and I want to learn and I want to hear from, from other perspectives. You know? Yeah. Well, there's plenty of resources out there. There's plenty of folks that, uh, you know, want, want to have that, that dialogue and that conversation, you know, we talked about before, it's really a matter of what, what lens are you looking at it from? And, um, yeah. you know, walking again, a mile in the, in the shoes of, of, uh, of those around you. And, um, you know, I'm happy to see even, you know, some of the other trade organizations, like we just talked about, you know, NAOP and the proud board member and a member of their yeah. uh, diversity committee that, that Phil Butler chairs. We've got this yep. you know, great program that is, uh, we'll give a plug for it, the uh, NAOP Drexel Summer Program, which uh, I think JLL has been a sponsor of in the past. We have, um, yep. to, uh, to introduce uh, uh, high school students of color to, commercial real estate um, because there is no, no, uh, no, no reason for them to know that it exists. Uh, so right. again, got to be very intentional um, with, with what we're trying to do in terms of what does it mean to be diverse and equitable? Well, it means targeting certain groups and introducing them to certain opportunities that exist out there. So uh, applications are open on both the NAOP website and uh, the Drexel Summer Program website, where you can go in and sign up. Every student uh, that is accepted is fully funded. Um, it will be a virtual program this year, but the you know the exposure to the commercial real estate, real estate industry through you know some very high-powered professionals here in the Philadelphia area. Um, you know, it's a case study type program. Uh, where you get you know mentorship for some of our, from some of our young leaders as well, uh, very very robust and looking to to grow. This is uh, year number three, I believe, of that program Great. here in Philly. So, for those of you listening, check it out. Yes, the Drexel Summer Program sponsored by Naop. We'll link it when we uh, send this podcast out into the universe. Um, I actually spoke to Phil about it last week. Oh, excellent. caught up with Phil. And uh, yeah, we're we're totally, uh, totally happy to do whatever we can do from a JLL perspective to help in that initiative. And, you know, Lauren Gilchrist, obviously the, the president of NAOP and our uh, head of research in JLL Philadelphia. I'm, I'm sure she and I will team up and, and do whatever it is that that is needed from us and 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 also find other other ways to uh other avenues to explore too, when it comes to DNI um, education of the real estate business to to younger people. I mean, I've always said it. Like, I, I me personally, I didn't know I had the, not the first clue about real estate until I took the job at Liberty Property Trust in two thousand eight. You know, Villanova didn't have a real estate school at the time. They did soon after I left. I didn't have any family or friends in the business or anything like that. Um, so to to build that awareness with people that wouldn't like you said wouldn't otherwise have had any awareness of it is huge because there's there's so much opportunity. I mean, there's opportunity on the ownership and investment side, on the brokerage side, property management, uh, consulting. There's just a world of opportunity uh, for students and to learn about the business and hopefully get into it when they, when they finish school. Quick anecdote, you know, Nova's Nova's hardcore real estate. Now, right? Yeah. With the Delay yeah. School and everything, and, yeah. and you know their uh, their MBA program has a, a, a case competition every year. And I've this, judged it. So this year, the 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 subject of the case competition is our is shifts North Broad Street development uh, project. Oh wow! At, uh, oh, that's Broad, great. Germantown and Erie. Yeah, nice. the uh, the director of the program, Sean Houghton, who I have known for years. Good guy. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, reached out and said, you know, again, very, very, very intentional, saying we want to do something that's a little bit different. We want to talk about just not the financial metrics, but what are some of the other metrics that we should be thinking about? And you know, do you have any advice on this, et cetera, et cetera? So yeah. talking to the right group. 
So, there you uh, go. so yeah, very excited to see uh, what all those uh, brainiacs come up with, and you know, <laughs> uh, we could always use some 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 good uh, good solutions, uh, new new and uh, progressive solutions from new minds. So we're very eager uh, to see what they come up with. Yeah, they're 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 an incredible incredible group. I mean, I, I judged the one two years ago at the union league, I was one of the judges for the, uh, I think the Delaware river waterfront council project. They did kind of a mock-up on that of, uh, you know, land along, uh, between, uh, I guess chestnut and a couple streets South on, uh, on the Delaware. And some of the presentations were just, I mean, it was like, wow, I never would have thought of this. This is just really smart. And all, all the presentations were great, really well put together. Um, and in, in addition to Sean, I got to give uh, Jessica Taylor some props oh, too from Villanova. No she no does she does an awesome job Absolutely. putting that whole thing together and wrangling people like me that it takes like six emails for me to respond and sign up for uh, for something because I've just got so much so much crap going on. But uh, no, I was I was happy to be a part of that. And also, they ran a couple years ago a program called the Nexus Program, which was for high school age. Um, Real estate, uh, people I wanted to learn about real estate tended to be from diverse backgrounds. And uh, actually, Mark Seltzer and I got to speak at the at the uh, final event out of Villanova. And uh, that, that was just unbelievable. They did such a great job with that. And I guarantee you, out of that group of, I think it was somewhere around 30, 40 kids, I guarantee you probably got 10 of them that are going to go into the business at some point. Um, we hired an, an awesome young guy, Greg, to be an intern that that next summer. And uh, I think he's gone on to do some good things too. So, I mean, it's the, it's the time to start, get them in high school, teach them about the business, follow up through college. And uh, you know, let's, let's build a, a more uh, intelligent, creative, representative uh, workforce of, of the community. And that's, to me, that's been my goal as, as a leader. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's That's fantastic. That's great, man. Yeah. So listen, uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure here. We're coming up at the, uh, the end of the hour. I really appreciate your time, Tony. Um, you're doing amazing things. You're a great leader in the, uh, in the greater Philadelphia real estate market. I really look forward to grabbing a drink with you at a networking event sometime in the next, uh, the next few months. Cause that's when we would do our, our best, uh, our, our best, uh, strategizing and, and, you know, really, really breaking down some creative thoughts over a, uh, over a, a, a whiskey or something like that. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks yeah, for having absolutely. me, Tony. This is, this is great. Uh, congrats on, uh, on, on your, uh, podcast success. I wish Thank you, you, you know, uh, more, more, more to come. I hope. And, definitely. Uh, definitely. And, uh, thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening everybody. Take care.